sports are great because they're metaphors for life. And so it's just looking at it from a standpoint of, and I was lucky, like I played college basketball at Michigan State University. Uh, but my story, I was a water boy to walk on the scholarship player. And so what it really taught me was that anything was possible to go from a water boy to be able to eventually be a scholarship on the number one team in the country is just once you prove that to yourself, it's like, okay, anything that I face, this reminds me of that time when I was trying to make the basketball team. It's one small step for man. Lift off. We have a change here to go Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. The quote of the week is, inspiration exists, but it has to find you working. Today, we're sharing an interview between Eric Quellman and Pat Sipkins. Eric discusses the power of smiling, what the world's top CEOs all have in common, the 52-night rule, and how getting three teeth knocked out during his college basketball game led to a revelation. Pat Sickens is the founder of Adaptive Jacks and an increaser of enterprise value for mid to large businesses. Sipkins is a husband and father of three, author, former D1 pitcher, ultra endurance athlete, marketing executive, and owner of multiple businesses. Pat's upcoming book with the working title, The Two Types of People in This World, includes interviews with CEOs of large corporations, best-selling authors, former Olympians, professional athletes, former Navy SEALs, and more getting unique perspectives from their experiences to answer one simple question. If there are two types of people in this world, what are they? Let's get into it. Enjoy today's episode of the Super You Podcast, a conversation between Eric Quammen and Pat Sitkins. All right, man, well, let's get into it. Um, and I want to start with a little bit of a softer question, just kind of get things going. You know, it's uh, it seems like a softer question because it's not the direct uh, focus of the interview. But this always just interests me because, again, people that we're talking to, they're well-known. Uh, people know what they've accomplished, what they've done. But what I really want to understand first is what are you passionate about? Family. Just passionate about family. If you look at it, it's really faith, family, and friends. If you think about those three Fs, so faith, family, and friends, or your faith is family and friends. So it's a very simple answer for me. It's family first. Uh, the way I practice that too, an example would be that 52 nights. So I have a rule. The number one metric we track at our company is that I will not be away from my kids. They're in fifth and sixth grade girls. I will not be away from my kids more than 52 nights a year. Now, what happens, I speak a lot internationally and around the world, is that they'll come with me a lot when they're not in school. So that's the number one metric we track. Oh, okay. And then we turn down deals once. <laughs> it costs us revenue to do that, but I don't want to lay on my deathbed and say, man, that extra dollar was worth it. I want to say I spent time with my kids when I had the chance. Because if you look at the data, 80% of the time you spend with your parents 
is the first 18 years of your life. 80%, 80% of the time wow. you spend with your parents is the first 18 years of your life. That's incredible. I, I saw on your website, the uh, living up to the, the number one dad mug that you got a few <laughs> years ago. And I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. <laughs> my, my, awesome. my friend got a great shirt from his kids, kids that said number two dad. <laughs> Oh, that's, uh, yeah, set the bar low and then you can only go up from there, I suppose. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's awesome. So, uh, so this is sort of the, the Christmas morning part of, of the discussion, you know, it's kind of unwrapping what's going to lead to the rest of the conversation. But, you know, this whole idea around two types of people and, you know, there's hundreds of different types of two types of people, right? Like leaders, followers, believers, or dreamers, doers, people who put ketchup on their fries, people put it on the side. And that's what really intrigued me about this, this project is getting people's response because of their background and their experiences. So we'll start with just the direct answer of if there's two types of people in this world, what do you think they are? I mean, you've seen it, dreamers and doers. So I'm trying to think because that's just recency bias in my head. Oh, man. I mean... I'm a positive guy, so I'm always thinks there's good in everyone. But if you looked at most movies, it's good and evil. But I don't think that's the case. I think everyone has some good in them. Also, everyone has some evil in them if it's unlocked. So if you look at it from that, that black and white, um, you know, Star Wars analogies as well, the, the, the dark side, <laughs> uh, may the force be with you. Um, but I guess... <laughs> I would say at the highest, the high level, I don't know if it applies to people. That's what's interesting. Is it, if the soundbite would be there's good and evil. I think there's good and evil things in the world. Um, and it's really, as an optimist, it's understanding that you can get them over to one side, the good side. Um, everyone has that within them. So I think it's that light and the dark. I like that. Yeah, and it's been interesting. You know, A lot of people looked at it and they didn't want it to be a negative thing. And, and the more that we've gone through this, we've really realized that, you know, the whole yin yang approach to life, you know, people are more slanted toward one, but they've all got a little bit of both sides and in, in every response that we've had. And I think the same thing with this, you know, most people, like you said, are wired to be good, but sometimes they make bad choices. Um, so I, I like where we're going with this. So when, when you look there's at there's also a philosophy evil, too, that like, there's uh you can't have, light without darkness, right? So if anything bad happens, so I don't know what faith you are, but if you're from a Christian background, which I am, it's just, <laughs> if it was all light, you wouldn't know what light is. And so it's interesting, or also these challenges or this darkness is a chance for you to actually show the light within you. So th there's challenges, when these challenges face you, it's really hard to think about it this way because challenges are difficult, a lot of difficult times but it allows you to rise up. And so it's an opportunity to have the brightest light come out during the darkest times. I like that. So you're saying you're, you're an optimist. So you're, you know, obviously leaning more toward the good, which, which I certainly know that about you. Um, let's explore that a little bit. So talk to me about, and yes, I think faith is certainly part of that, but if someone, you know, either, doesn't recognize faith or doesn't you know have those belief systems in place, what are some of the attributes that you see from the light? And I think you hit it in two different ways. It's people, but then there's also things that are are slanted either way. So let's talk a little bit about that. 
Yeah, you know, and it's funny because for faith, no matter what faith you recognize, even if it's zero, you've got to look across all different religions to just take out the core principles are very similar if you look at them, which we have for some of the books. Um, and when you look at it at the core, it's like, be kind, uh, be kind to others. That's really at the core of almost everything if you uh, un unpack it a little bit. Um, so even if you don't believe in a higher power, if you actually look at the beliefs, they could be very helpful. So hopefully that's helpful for the audience out there as well. But I think at the, the end of the day, it's really just understanding that I, as an optimist, so I'm an optimist because I always say that the opposite's not a very good place to be. So <laughs> so it says you're an optimist. It's like, it's better than the alternative. You know, it's better than the alternative. Now, that being said, we all have different dark times or challenges that we go through. So it's not that you're walking around with a smile on your face all the time. Um, it's about making sure that more times than not, you're seeing the glass not only half full, but actually 100% full, that it's half full with water, half full with oxygen. And so that's not always going to be the case, but as much as you can, um, that's a great way to think about it. Or what you could do as an individual is if you were to smile, and we do this exercise sometimes, but if you smile at someone more times than not, it's almost impossible for them not to smile back at you. And so a smile is free. So even if you don't feel like smiling, when you smile, you're actually helping someone else out. So it's one of those things to just think about and I've even thought about doing a project where how many smiles can I create in a year? Literally have a camera follow me to figure out how often I smile. Some people are like, that guy's creepy. But more times than not, you can see, can you get a smile out of someone else? And, and like, that's your, your production, right? You're a smile factory. I like that. It's kind of like the guy who's walking around hugging people. I, I don't know exactly the premise, <laughs> but I know he's just... He's going around hugging people and he's getting them back. So I think I think you're you're dead on with that. And maybe there's a little personal space there, so a smile is a little less intrusive. Yeah. When you look at at optimists, is this something where you know if if most people are wired to be good and positive and optimistic, is that something that you believe has to be worked on? Or is it something where, you know, it's just a mindset? Like, how do you stay in that mindset, even when things are, you know, whether it's little blips in life or, you know, big challenges that you have? Like, how do you stay on that side of things? It's hard. It's hard to stay on that side. And all of us slipped uh, to the other side at, at points. And so it's like anything in life, you've got to be intentional. So you've got to write down you know, what's your vision? What gives you like the 52 rule that I already went over. So 52 nights, I don't want to be away from my kids any more than that. So you have to be intentional because that brings me joy. Um, and it's something that I know is part of my purpose. And so that's what you need to write down so that when you hit those tough times, which you always do, even on a weekly basis, it's how do I get back to that center? How do I get back to that core? How do I get back to what really brings me joy? And if it brings me joy more times than not, it's going to bring others joy. So it's really about being intentional as much as possible. That's writing things down. Here's my vision. Okay, I'm kind of going off the rails here, which is normal for all of us out there. How do I get back on that, that rail? So, you know, I know you work with a lot of, you know, the most well-known companies out there like Disney and, and things like that. Is there any correlation between top performers, most successful people? Are they all, you know, 100% of them optimistic, you know, driven, positive people all the time? 
or do you see people that are maybe a little curmudgeonly that still somehow kind of break through and reach levels of success? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that most people will think intuitively, what do they think of an outstanding CEO? They're going to look to like a Richard Branson. They're going to start to have this vision of maybe a Steve Jobs, someone that's very charismatic and vocal, when actually those are the outliers. We just think that because they're in the media. Really, most of the top performers are more introverted and they're more servant leaders that they really understand that even though they're at the top of the company, they actually work for everyone at that company. So that's the common thread that I've seen from a qualitative standpoint, working with these individuals, but also the research plays that out across the board. And so it was first uncovered in Jim Collins is good to great. But if you look at that, they're really more introverted, which is the opposite of what most of us would perceive just because that's what we see in the media that, oh, that person must be very ebullient. They must be effervescent. They must be out there really charismatic and really go, 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 rah, rah, rah. When more times than not, the best leaders are staying the course. They're very, um, I guess, on the level. They keep a level playing. There's not many highs and lows. And most importantly, they're servant leaders. So that's the main thread that I've seen. Now, circling back a little bit when you asked, how do I stay the course? How do I stay on that positive track? One thing that I've done, and this is something I've learned from others, is what I do is I track as many days as I can. So some days, just like any day, you forget to do it or somehow you don't have a minute. I know that's crazy, but some days I don't, this literally (laughs) takes 60 seconds to do and I won't have time to do it. But in a spreadsheet, I track, was the day a plus one, plus two, plus three, or was it a minus one, minus two, minus three? So it's never neutral. And then next to that, I'll write down, this is why it takes 60 seconds, because obviously that takes like, what, 10 seconds? Is the, (laughs) the other 50 seconds just writing down what made me the happiest. So then, or if it was a negative day, why did it, why was it so negative? And so it allows me to track over time, what's the correlation between my joy in that negativity, that light in the dark. And so it's really systematically also allowing me to stay present. Oh my gosh, I've had a couple of negative days in a row. What's going on? Let's sit down and kind of get this train back on the track. Uh, Or wow, this is a lot of really positive days. How can we do more of that? Or let me look back through that journal, which is a spreadsheet. Let me look through that spreadsheet when I'm having those negative times and go, okay, this is what was bringing me joy. Why aren't I doing that? And I think that that happens in a lot of companies, you know, it's the old, uh, we used to do it. It worked really well, but then we stopped. And so I think a lot of people get on that track where things are going really well. And so they don't focus on the things that are making them happy. They're just kind of going through like, yeah, things are great. And all of a sudden, like you said, you had two, three, five bad days in a row because you weren't focusing on the things that were getting you good in the first place. No, exactly right. And also, too, you just brought up a word. It's really interesting as you dig into some of these folks that actually teach these classes that have been studying this for 40 years on happiness is that they'll look at it from a standpoint, okay, the difference between joy and happiness is joy is that something you enjoy in the moment. So, for example, if I enjoy writing, then that's what I need to focus on is that joy. Now, happiness is also the result. It's like a result or byproduct, meaning oh, I'm happy because the book sold really well. So I'm not dependent on anything when it comes to joy. Happiness is often a dependence. So if you're Matthew McConaughey, he talks about this quite a bit as well, a fellow Austinite uh, down the road here. But if you, if you talk with Matthew, he's like, I derive joy from the process of making the film, 
Um, so I'm not dependent on the box office success. That's really, in his mind, that's where happiness comes from as well. It's like the result where it's really focus and go after that joy. That's very interesting. And it, you know, I'm thinking um, in a different kind of setting with this, you know, when you look at um, top athletes, right? So like I do some triathlon stuff. Sports are great because they're metaphors for life. And so it's just looking at it from a standpoint of, and I was lucky, like I played college basketball at Michigan State University. Uh, but my story, I was a water boy to walk on the scholarship player. And so what it really taught me was that anything was possible to go from a water boy to be able to eventually be a scholarship on the number one team in the country is just once you prove that to yourself, it's like, okay, anything that I face, this reminds me of that time when I was trying to make the basketball team. And so it's really looking at it from that lens and that things happen for you, not to you. Uh, and you probably know the story, but I mean, just for the audience here, just I'll give you the quick okay. version. Is that when I was trying, so occasionally the water boy, you're the water boy, and occasionally you get to get to get in the, the practice. It's rare, but once or twice a year, there's only 13 players on the team. Some are sick, some are injured. Okay, we don't have 10 guys, we're scrimmaging. You know, Qualman, get in there. Uh, we need an extra body. It literally happened like once or twice a year. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my moment, right? Because I'm secretly trying to put on weight. I actually put on like 50 pounds because I got to university as 165, 6'4", and then eventually got to 6'7", 215. Um, to, you know, say the freshman 15, I put on like the freshman 60. But it's really just, <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is the time to shine. And I, I couldn't miss. Like I, I go, oh my gosh, this is my day. Everything was going right. And then I accidentally took an elbow from a teammate and I could feel that it dislodged some teeth. Now, I was born with two teeth missing, so I had a spacer tooth that was in there, a fake tooth. So I assumed it was just a fake tooth. Now, it turned out it was actually three teeth that got knocked out. But I kept playing because I go, this is my moment. This isn't going to derail me. And then the trainer came over at a break, like 10 minutes in, and you could see like blood still coming out. So he's like, you, whoa. he's like, whoa, like we found the teeth. You got to go <laughs> to the dentist right now. Like you're done. I'm like, no, I want to keep playing. He's like, no, you're out of here. So I thought that that was, I can't believe this is happening to me, my moment in time and what bad luck. But if anyone knows that Coach Izzo, who's in the Hall of Fame, he's still coaching, but he's a Hall of Famer. Coach Izzo is all about the grit and the grind. And so in the moment, I think, I cannot believe this just happened to me. What rotten luck. But looking back, I eventually did make the team. And I think that the only reason I did was because of that moment that I kept playing. And that a, a player of another caliber, or maybe even better, he just said, look, we need that kind of grit and grind on, on the team. That's what the program's all about. And so looking back, it's the greatest thing that ever happened for me. And so... So many listeners out there, you're probably getting your teeth kicked in or even knocked out. And in the moment, it's really hard to see why that's happening, that challenge. But sometimes it actually is happening for you. More times than not, it's happening for you, not to you. And so I tell that story because it always reminds me in the moment. And that's why sports are so important because they're a metaphor of life is that when you're getting your teeth kicked in, sometimes as you look forward and then able to look back after you've obviously lived the moment, you're like, that's the best thing that could have happened to me in that moment. That actually propelled me to that success, allowed me to make the team and get that scholarship. 
No doubt. I love that. You, you answered my question. I was going to ask, you know, what you did with your teeth. I know basketball shorts don't have pockets. I'm trying to figure out what you did with them, but they just, they flew and they found them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, one kind of came into my hand. I didn't even look at it. I just kind of threw it to the side. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. No, but I, I love that about, you know, things happening to you. And there, there's so many great stories, you know, like Michael Jordan getting cut from him, from his high school team. And like, in the moment, you're probably thinking, why in the heck is this happening to me? But all the great stories have that failure or that overcoming. And so, you know, I think the positive white people look at it in the way you're describing and the negative, you know, kind of darker people look at it as the world is against me. All the bad things are happening to me instead of looking at it as an opportunity to grow. No, you're exactly right. And obviously right in the moment, like my teeth got knocked in, I wasn't saying this is great. I can't wait to see what happens out of this. It was right. so definitely you need that time to kind of decompress and, and whether it's you lose a loved one or whether you're just going through a tough time and so you need to have that time for yourself. But in the moment you're probably not, like, yeah, my teeth got crushed. That's awesome. It's just like, okay, <laughs> there's probably hopefully something good that's going to come out. I don't see what that is right now, but I've got to trust that at some point, I'm going to be able to look back and be able to do something uh, with this. And so now when you're in a business setting, when something fails and you should be failing often, because that's how you learn, that's how you grow. It also means that you're pushing yourself. Uh, Another sports analogy, if you're skiing, you're not going to get very good unless you're kind of falling at the beginning. Um, Because you got to have your skis pointed downhill. But over time, that makes you better is that really just in that business setting, is it understanding, okay, this is a failure. Let's not sweep it on the rug. Let's kind of embrace it. Let's learn from it. It's what I call failing fast, failing forward, failing better, or being flossom. People don't love us because we're perfect. They love us because we're perfectly flawed, whether that's as an individual or as a business. And so it's really just understanding that failure itself, you'll hear this out of Silicon Valley, failure does not make you better. So you'll hear that out of Silicon Valley, failure makes you better. That's completely wrong. It's evaluated failure makes us better. Just like in sports or in music, so your instructor or your coach will say practice makes perfect, which is actually perfectly wrong. It's proper practice can lead to progress and improper practice can lead to the wrong kind of problems. Failure does not make us better. Evaluated failure does. So it's about failing fast, meaning that we don't know the unknown. So we don't even know the questions to ask. That's why you need to get, get out there and try something and from the business perspective. And then the best thing that can happen is when you try something is it works. The second best thing that can happen is that it fails quickly. So you don't want a long failure. So it's a fail quick and move on. When you fail then, so fail fast, fail forward, fail better. Failing forward means you're going to sit down and talk about it. Now, this goes against their DNA because most of us don't want to talk about failure, especially as a collective group. But you have to have that self-confidence as an organization and also empower your employees with that, with that confidence that no one's going to get in trouble, that it's really about talking about that. And then that allows you to fail better, meaning that you can actually learn from that failure. Um, and then also keep in mind that you don't have to learn from your own failures. You can actually learn from others as well, some other companies, organizations, or parallel companies. There you go. I was laughing when you were talking about, you know, being being excited and stoked that your teeth are getting knocked out in the moment. I think if if anyone was like that, there there might be something a little off about them. So yeah, I agree. It's not uh, being rosy about it right as it's happening, but again, it's the process of realizing after the fact that 
it, it was okay and, and it's going to help uh, help you with progress. So um, one thing I wanted to ask, and, and I don't know if it ties directly into this, but with the focus project, is there an element of what you're talking about in that, in, in actually focusing on these things? I mean, you've talked about the spreadsheet, you've talked about the metrics, um, things like that, but is there another element of the focus project where you can kind of bring yourself to that optimism where you can bring yourself to the light and having more of a focus on that side of things? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the focus project where focus goes, energy flows. And so it's important for you to remember where focus goes, energy flows. And when you look at it, it's really about making sure that you get enough space in your life as well. That's the hardest thing for all of us to do, including myself. That's why I wrote the book, The Focus Project, because like all of you out there, I'm sure your hair is on fire at the end of the day. And there's a billion dollar business in time management, billion dollar business if not bigger. But really, it's about energy management, meaning that if I gave you 48 more hours in the day, I guarantee you're not going to get everything done that's on your list. So it's really about that energy management. And so I was a sample size of one. That's why I did a project. Turned out to be two years. I was anticipating 12 uh, 12 months, but that's how hard it is. So the first year was a bunch of failed experiments where I go, all right, I got to focus on this one thing this month. And I'm going to go, I'm going to do a half hour a day. And literally, I did 18 minutes the first month. And then I failed five times trying to just focus on this one thing. It's crazy because I was writing a book. And it's crazy because, like, I own the company, right? You'd think I'd have the control of my time. And so if I was wrestling with time, as I talked to more people and energy, that they had the same issue, that they were wrestling with the focus. And... Then the pandemic even hyper-accelerated that focus struggle. So the short answer is that at the core, it's the not-so-simple art of doing less better. So the not-so-simple art of doing less better. Now, in America, what is it? It's like, we got to do more. We got to add more. Well, actually, the way you can actually achieve more big things versus busy things is to actually focus on doing less, more on the important versus the urgent. Very, very hard to do. I struggle with it every day. That's why I wrote the book. I still have the book. I wrote the book for a reference for myself. And so as I get off the rails, I go back to some of the, I was looking back hundreds of years because this isn't anything new. It's just hyper accelerated with the digital communication we have. And also obviously the pandemic hyper accelerated things as well. It made it even more challenging to focus when you're homeschooling your kids, when all of a sudden you're working remote, all this stuff's coming at you all the time. So it's really about how do I do big versus the busy? And it's, it's really a learned process. It's a learned process every day. Again, I fall in the trap almost every day, losing focus. And so that's, that's why I wrote the resource. I love it. I love it. Um, so I got two more questions for you and, and we can take these anywhere you want. And, and I'm almost, uh, I almost don't want to ask the next question because you've already given so much value. But uh, your best piece of advice, so when you, you look at everything we've talked about so far, you know, to really bring it all home for the audience, for the readers, what would be your best piece of advice on positivity, focus, you know, anything that we've talked about so far? I mean, it's a, a quote that I love from Walt Disney. If you can dream it, you can do it. So it is so true. If you can dream it, you can do it. Now, on the other side of that, when you're not hitting your dream or you hit that rut, which we all do, 
and we might be hitting some of you. Sh- all of you should be hitting some kind of challenge right now or that rut. You're trying to fight through it. That's just that's just normal. Is that sometimes if you get really though dark, like really deep in that hole, the best thing you can do is actually volunteer. Volunteer your time and try to help someone else. Someone that then is dependent on you at some level. Someone's anticipating you to show up that you need to show up. So whether it's you're looking for a new job right now, and that can get very challenging and dark, it's try to go and volunteer. That's what we've seen, and I've done it myself, but it's really just if you get in that really dark place, um, that's a good good, good way to get out of it is just actually go and volunteer. But at the highest of high levels, if you can dream it, you can actually do it. I love it. Yeah, you're right, and there, there's a lot of different – uh, groups, organizations, things like that, where they talk about that, you know, from, from a psychological standpoint, from consulting standpoint, you know, uh, psychology standpoint, when you're looking at those hard times and you're getting in that negative space, it's because you're, you're internally focused, you know, like you said, why are things happening to me? I'm not hitting my goal. I'm not doing whatever. And so it's all about you and you become the center of your universe and that's where the stress happens. That's where those bad feelings and you know bad thoughts and those things happen. Whereas if you can just go help someone and maybe it's just a smile, maybe that's your volunteering for the day, but to get out of yourself and, and flip you know the spotlight off yourself into someone else, that's typically where you can really quickly get out of yourself and, and kind of get out of the pity party. No, you're well said. And then it's also during the research for the book, it's where is your focus too? a lot of focus on success is money, it's cars, it's fame. Those are all great things. There's nothing wrong with those things. And it's something that we all aspire. Most of us aspire for. But really, at the end of the day, as you if you were to go to like my grandfather's 97, he's a World War Two veteran. I love visiting him when it's possible because of COVID, it's a little tr- tricky. But when you're there, it's great just to as you walk around that room, there's like, oh, that guy's a five star general. Oh, she was the CEO of a company, but no one knows that, right? It's like, they're just all in the same place. And looking back, it's really, do you have three people? So someone during the research, it was really success should be, are those, are there three people that you would do anything for? And conversely, are there three people that would call you to help you with anything in their dire, their, their darkest moment? Do you have three people that actually call you? Um, so I thought that was a great way to look at success is that's the ultimate form of success that you have three people that you do anything for. And there's also three people that you'd be kind of their first call or one of their top calls if they were in a tight spot and you could help them out. Yeah, that's, uh, and there's been a lot of focus on that. And like you said, with pandemic and, and, you know, the shift in the world, um, people talking about, and maybe this is part of focusing, right. Is instead of having, you know, and there's nothing wrong with having a big following online and, you know, a lot of business acquaintances and things like that, but to have a group of 50 friends is really, it, it's just not something that is sustainable. And so it's having those three to five relationships. And, and I haven't heard it said in that way, but I love that it's, you know, and that could be family, friends, business partners, whatever. But I just like the idea of having three people that there's that converse relationship. And it sort of shifts your mindset because all of us are busy because you, you, we've all done it where even if it's a person that's one of our friends, you're going, you're dropping off the kids or something. You see that person, you go, oh, man, I don't have 10 minutes to talk to that person. I got to kind of scoot around that person. But it's really if your mindset shifts, you're like, oh, that's one of my three. Let me go develop that relationship. 
That's great. So is there is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important uh, around this conversation? So a question that hasn't been asked or something that hasn't been said to to wrap it up? No, I think this has been very thorough. It's been fantastic. And uh, again, life's not all roses, but it's really about understanding, okay, how do I get kind of that rose water when I need it? Uh, how do I get back to that that place? And so as we started the conversation, it was a great question to ask. If you think about the light and the dark, we all experience both often on the same day. And so it's really about understanding how you tick as an individual and figuring out what is the best light, what allows you to unlock and unleash that superpower that's within all of us. And so over time, trying to figure out what those keys are. And if you have no clue right now, a good place to start is just writing down each day, you know, what made you the happiest or what was the biggest challenge. But the most important thing is kind of what made you, what brought you joy uh, and joy often leads to happiness. And so what, what brought you the greatest joy that day and trying to see that pattern over time. And so that allows you when those dark moments happen to kind of get back to that light, uh, not only for yourself, but then when you have that light, then you're able to open that up, unlock that superpower on the world because we're all superheroes you know we just need that courage to wear the cape uh, we can't we can't all have our our own uh awesome equal man logo and the green glasses but uh you know there, there's different levels of superheroes i guess <laughs> <laughs> no for sure i mean i just got lucky my parents just named me and even that's a whole other story why i didn't like it for 15 years i didn't you show up as an intern <laughs> with the email address of equal man because eric qualman first initial last names equal man and you show up and they're like, oh, we need some coffee. Well, Equal Man's super fast. He must be super fast because that superhero <laughs> name, Kwame. Equal Man, why don't you go get that coffee? Or wear the tights, awesome. Equal Man. Wear the tights this morning. So I didn't like it for 15 years and then realized, wait, this is happening for me, not to me. Let's step into that discomfort. Own that story. And that's what everyone out there should do is really step into your story. It's very uncomfortable at first to do that, to be your true self. But long-term, that's the most comfortable place that you can live. And so for those of you that haven't done that, don't do what I did, resist it for 15 years. Step into that discomfort because long-term, it's the most comfortable place that you can live, being your true self. And so just make sure that you do that. For those that have already taken that first step, I guarantee some of you are resisting that biggest chapter of your story. So today is the day to take that first step into that big chapter. I'm, I'm so glad we went there at the end here that was uh that was a great way to to wrap it up eric uh again i just i appreciate you being part of this you're part of a an unbelievable lineup and to have you and, and to be able to share this story and, and the value you provided uh i'm really looking forward to people reading this chapter it's going to be excellent i love it pat no it's an honor to see you again and thanks for having me on with all the great people you've had on here so congrats on all your success and uh hopefully your listeners continue to thrive awesome thank you Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 you. Oh.